right, dads. All right, dads. Happy Father's Day. Hope you have a great one. Um, yeah, somebody asked me, do you like Father's Day even more now that you're a grandfather? And I said, no, you know, just any opportunity to celebrate me, I'm in for. And so, uh, anyway, I uh, hope you have a great uh, day today, dads. Um, also, we're celebrating Juneteenth, which I'm embarrassed to say, up until a couple years ago, I didn't know what it stood for. Stood for. And so, um, I want to make sure that we don't let this go by without understanding, um, really, uh, a great reason to celebrate in the history of our nation, but on June 1st, no, not June 1st, June 19th, which Juneteenth stands for, June 19th, um, 1865, General Gordon Granger um, rode into Galveston, Texas, and read General Order Number 3, and he, read, he, he went to a couple different government buildings in town, he went to some churches and he read um, this order. The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with the proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. And that was, yeah, that was two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation. And it finally brought to an end a terrible chapter in our history. And uh, that day, the last 250,000 slaves um, were, were freed. And so... Uh, so that's why we celebrate Juneteenth, and uh, so glad to do it. And, and many cities and states have celebrated it for a long time. And last year, um, it was, uh, I think it was June 17th of 2021 that it became a national, a national holiday. So um, that's Juneteenth, and it is totally um, a, a day to celebrate. So we're, we're thankful for that. Um, I also before, by the way, Tyler, you stud, kept eating them, you know? I mean, um, last year for Father's Day, you, you might remember we did, a, we did a, our own hot ones with, you know, dads and daughters, and, um, and so Joy took that hot sauce called Da Bomb, which if you ever see it in the store, don't buy it. Okay, because um, it is, you know, it's one of those things that like right out of the gate, it's like, this is not good. This, this hurts. And then five minutes later, it hurts more. I mean, it just keeps building. And the worst part of it is at no point does it taste good. <laughs> and so just avoid the bomb. But um, anyway, that's what Tyler was suffering through there and uh, did a great job and good job, Joy. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so today, um, we're studying just like um, I wasn't aware of the significance of Juneteenth until um, the last couple of years. We're going back in history, and we're looking at a period of time which really is indisputably one of the most transforming times in human history. In the first century, there was a movement, a spiritual movement that started out with... Um, about 120 impoverished, poorly educated people from the backwoods. I mean, they were, they were not big city people. They were not um, well-connected. They did not have influence or affluence. But those from that 120 started a movement that over time would radically transform 
the most powerful nation on earth at that time, and that was the Roman Empire. And uh, it's, it's without question one of the most amazing things in history and yet there's there's one book that was written that covers the first 30 years of that movement and that is the book of acts in the new testament and that's what we're going to study during this summer and um which by the way we will be meeting starting july 3rd and going through labor day weekend and we're going to have one gathering starting july 3rd july 4th weekend Okay, and, um, and it's going to be at 10 o'clock. And so if you um, come at 10 o'clock and you may see people like sitting in your area. And it's like, who are these people? And it's like, what, what's the deal with this? And it's like, it's the nine o'clockers. And so you're going to be all together. And um, we thought, man, this would be a cool thing. We, you know, a few weeks ago, we had the celebration Sunday, and we came together at 9, and we had so many positive comments about that. And we haven't been able to do it in the past because um, not enough space for the kids. But as we've been rebuilding from COVID, we're still not caught up to where we were before COVID. Um, but it's been a great trending. But now we hit summer. And summer uh, attendance always go down because summer schedule's different. We're on vacation and those type things. And so we thought, let's just do something that we might not ever have a chance to do. And so for a two-month period of time, we're going to have one gathering at 10 o'clock. And uh, we'll all be together, and it will be just a great time um, this summer uh, being together at one gathering. And then after Labor Day, the weekend after Labor Day, we'll go back to 9 and 11. All right, so that's two weeks from today, and uh, which is what weekend? Oh, oh, did I hear Aaron Dorr? Yes, I did. I did. I heard you. Thank you, Aaron. I'm glad you know about it. Um, anyway, uh, 10 o'clock in two weeks, and uh, we'll, we'll enjoy that little experiment for the summer, and then we'll go back to 9 and 11. All right, so first century, movement of God. It ends up changing the Roman Empire. And uh, so we're looking at the book of Acts, which kind of documents the first 30 years of it. And um, it exploded in Acts chapter 2. Okay, Acts chapter 2, and that's what we're going to look at today. Jesus had told them, hey, um, I'm going, after he died and rose from the dead, he hung out for over a month. A lot of people saw him, met with his followers. Uh, you know, thousands of people, eyewitnesses that he had risen from the dead. And now he tells his disciples, now carry out the mission. I want you to share the good news about who I am and what I've done and what you've seen. And I want you to share it not only in Jerusalem, in Judea, but to Samaria and, and, and really all over the world. Get the news out. That's your mission. But don't go yet. You need to wait for the Holy Spirit to fall upon you. And they're going, what? Well, like, how will we know? It'll be obvious. And he said, just wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. It'll be obvious. And um, then go. And that was kind of his, his parting words. And, and he ascended to heaven, it says. And so in um, Acts chapter 1. And so now they're waiting. And um, they're waiting together, about 120 of them. And they're going, okay, well, what do we do? Do we just, uh, you know. Just do whatever we want until then. Well, what they did is they stayed together and they, they met and they studied scripture together and they prayed and they just prepared their hearts for this moment when the Holy Spirit would, would join them, come upon them in a unique way 
And then they know it's go time. It's time to launch. It's time to spread the news. And really, in Acts chapter 2, where we're looking at today, this is, this is the launching point. So Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So let, let's kind of uh, give you a picture of this. Pentecost was one of the uh, biggest uh, Jewish festivals of the year. It was, it was um, one of the three biggest festivals. It means, Pentecost literally means the 50th day, okay? 50th day. 50th day from what? From Passover, all right? And so 50 days ago was Passover. Also happened to be the day that Jesus was crucified, all right? So 50 days had passed. Pentecost is happening, Jewish festival, and it's one of the times of the year where that if you're going to make a a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, this is when you did it. And so people were gathered from all over the Roman Empire who were Jews that had come back to um, celebrate Pentecost. And what it was, it was the marking of God's provision. It was, God, we recognize that you are the ultimate provider. And so we're bringing some of the first fruits of our crops to um, dedicate to you, to commit to you on the altar in Jerusalem, on the Temple Mount, and we are um, recognizing our dependence upon you. That's what Pentecost was about, that there were um, hundreds of thousands of people that were in Jerusalem, that were from outside of Jerusalem, as well as those who lived in the area, lived in in Judea and Galilee who were coming to celebrate Pentecost. So that's what was going on while this small group of 120 or so of followers of Jesus were gathering together and staying together and, and, and worshiping God and praying and awaiting for this event to happen that they weren't exactly sure what it was. So I want to show you where I think this happened. So this is the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. This is a, a picture in the last 20 years of it. Um, it was probably about 20 years ago because the south wall there, there's all the excavation there of the archaeological digs. Well, that has been dug down farther and the southern steps leading up into um, the Temple Mount have been exposed. And we'll talk about that in a second. But this is 37 acres and this is pretty much uh, the footprint of the Temple Mount during the time of Jesus and during the time of Acts chapter 2. It was expanded and built upon by uh, Herod the Great. And uh, besides its footprint, it it looks different today because things that were there, like the temple is no longer there. Um, Instead is the Dome of the Rock, which is the third holiest site in um, the religion of Islam. And so that gives you an idea. Now, next slide, you'll see on the right, there is an area that's open today, but during the time of Jesus, it would have had columns and a roof. And so it would have been an open air, but with the roof over it, and that's called um, Solomon's Porch or Solomon's Colonnade. All right, and so people traveling, they want to get out of the sun, they would, they would hang out there. Even people who were um, from outside of uh, Jerusalem who had come and they didn't have any arrangements for lodging, they didn't have tents, they would, uh, they would actually stay up there. I think that's where the 120 followers of Jesus were hanging out. Um, it, it said they were together, they needed enough space to be together, and so I think that they were there, which makes sense because as we're gonna read about, a miracle takes place in Acts chapter two during, during um, Pentecost, and that is... Uh, 
there appears over followers of Jesus what looks like a small fire over their head, and they begin speaking foreign languages that they did not previously know, but the people who gathered there from all over the world start hearing these people from the back country of Israel, of Palestine, these Galileans who speak with an accent. They don't speak you know, in a way that you know that they're highly educated, because they're not. They began speaking the, the language of these foreign travelers. And they're going, oh my goodness, what's going on? And so the reason I think they hear and see this is because I think those followers of Jesus were in Solomon's colonnade, hanging out there, because Jesus said, don't go anywhere. Now, that was 10 days ago that Jesus said, don't go anywhere, wait on the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit comes, a miracle's happening, and all these other people who are up to celebrate Pentecost go, what is going on over there? Whoa, you know, these people, who are they? They're not from my country, but I'm hearing my language. What's going on? So they demand, what, what, what's happening? What's happening? And so I think what happened is they went from Solomon's port, Solomon's colonnade, and they spilled down south into those steps, which you can't see there, but um, go to the next slide. The blue box is where those steps would be, and it actually was that wide. It was a huge area of steps going up into the entrances, a couple of the ways that you can get up into the Temple Mount. And what those areas was also known for was um, rabbis would take their students and sit on the steps and teach them. And so I think it was the, it was the place where large groups were going to be taught something. They would spill out onto those steps, and they all could see and hear who the speaker was who was below them. All right? And so I think they left Solomon's colonnade, and they went down there, and there was thousands of them, and then that's where Peter addressed them. Now, if you look the top left corner of the blue box, on that wall you see a couple of windows. By the way, those walls have been rebuilt. They weren't the original walls that were there during the time that this happened. Um, Suleiman the Magnificent rebuilt those walls on the right footprint for the Temple Mount. Um, but today you go there and the excavation has been done down to those steps. And so the next picture you will see, um, there's those two windows up there. You will see um, Rabbi Bill Town with a group of people. Uh, from, from Rolling Hills, and uh, we are sitting on those steps, and that's just that very top left-hand corner of that blue box, and so thousands of people would have been able um, to be there. So that gives you um, not only the historical context, but now you kind of can visualize what was going on, where it was happening, and where it spilled out to, to where I think Peter was teaching um, that day, which launched the church. It launched the church, all right? So now, let's go to verse two. And suddenly there came from heaven. Now here is the sign. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. Well, we know it's coming. Yeah, well, it wasn't, it wasn't um, you know, like a quiet little event. It not only got their attention, but it got the attention of people around them because a miracle was happening. And suddenly, from heaven, a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house. Ah, Bill, house. Um, I have an explanation. The word is oikos. That, that's the Greek word. It can mean house. It, mean, it also means dwelling. And so it's a place where people gather under roof. Okay, And so that's why I think it's legit 
And especially with the number of people, 120 people, that's going to be a big house. Well, I don't think any of them really had access to that. And so I think that they were up on um, Solomon's colonnade, and that's why everybody could see what was happening. All right? So big house, where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them. Okay, what's going on here? This is weird. Don't see this every day. They hadn't seen it every day. But what was going on is miracles were happening, and they weren't just random. Like, I look at this and go, fire over the head? That's weird. And then all of a sudden, they're able to speak in different languages. That's weird. But I think um, God was really doing something that was obviously a miracle, but it had real significance behind it. Okay, so, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And so here's what I think was happening, is to followers of Jesus, it was undeniable that the indwelling Holy Spirit means that God is with me. God is with me. The presence of God is with me. And that is true then, and it is true for anybody who places their faith in Jesus. The Bible says the Spirit of God at that moment comes into your life, okay? Now, why the fire? The fire was very significant. These were all Jews. Remember, they're all over, from all over the world, but they were all Jews, and they were seeing these little fires that looked like fire over the heads of these, this group of followers of Jesus, and they would have connected something that most of us wouldn't connect. Because as Jews, they knew the place that fire played in their history. In the Hebrew Bible, there were a few significant times that God allowed fire to mean something in a, in a very unique way. The first was when um, Moses, God wanted to talk to Moses and wanted to get Moses' attention. And so Moses was out in the fields as a shepherd and he sees this fire burning. So he goes to the fire and it's a bush that's burning, but it's not being consumed. And then from that bush, the voice of God spoke to Moses and he says, I want you to lead my people out of slavery in Egypt and I want, to let, I want you to lead them to freedom. And so that fire represented the presence of God. Moses was on holy ground. He was in the presence of God, okay? So... People are freed. Fast forward. People from Egypt are freed. They leave Egypt. They, uh, they come into the desert. And uh, God says, okay, now as a new freed people, I, wanna, I want you to know how you guys are to respond to me and how, you're, how you are to treat each other. Okay? And so I'm going to give you um, some truth. Some tr this is how followers of God should act. The Ten Commandments, all right? So how did they know where to get those Ten Commandments? Well, they stopped at Mount Sinai. There was a fire that looked like that was hovering over the top of the mountain. And so Moses climbed the mountain, and that's where he got the Ten Commandments. That fire, once again, was representing God. The presence of God is with you. I have not left you. I am with you. Come into my presence. And so that's where um, Moses got the Ten Commandments. Then you fast forward again. They're wandering in the wilderness. Um, and God wants them to know you're not alone. And so he has them build this, this big tent, very specific uh, logistics to that tent. But then every night there would be like a fire glowing over that tent, the tabernacle, that was letting God's people know that I'm with you. I am with you. And so now you fast forward to Acts chapter 2. <laughs> 
And God's people know that, uh, hey, the temple has had the Ark of the Covenant stolen. It is, um, and so, I mean, God's presence, presence has, in a sense, been lifted, and we, we are uh, depressed and we're, we're um, broken because of that, and we just desire the presence of God. To this day, um, worshiping Jews desire the presence of God. And you know the Western Wall, which you see Jews rocking back and forth and praying against the Western Wall. Do you know why they do that? Because that's just as close as they can get to God. It is the retaining wall of the Temple Mount in which the temple of God stood, in which at one time the presence of God hovered over. And so today they think this is still as close as we can get to God until the temple is restored. And so that's why they worship at the retaining wall of the Temple Mount. So now in Acts chapter 2, a miracle is taking place And the presence of God in the form of fire is now not over the temple, but it's over the heads of individual followers of Jesus, saying the presence of God has in a unique way come upon my individual followers. And now together corporately, they're my family. But you're my family when you individually choose to follow me and you're brought in to this family together, but I am always with you. And it was an undeniable sign that um, the Jews were going, what is going on here? And then they began speaking in tongues. It says, verse four, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so, okay, so Acts chapter two, It was a day in which the church was launched and God did some special things so that they they had no excuse. They they, they couldn't um, say, I wonder if this was it. I mean, no, they knew this was it. God's doing something special here. This is what Jesus told us to wait for. And, uh, And they saw the fire and they knew that the Holy Spirit was with them. And then a miracle happened in them. And um, now you hear hear about tongues. If you've been in church for very long or a different denomination, you'll hear different things about tongues. And so what are tongues? Well, in Acts chapter 2, it gives us the most clear definition um, anywhere in the Bible of what tongues were. And that is people from foreign lands begin to hear these Galileans, these Jewish Galileans, speak in their language. And so tongues was a foreign language, a real language, previously unknown to the speaker. I hadn't studied it, I haven't learned it, and all of a sudden, I miraculously have been given the ability to speak in this language, and uh, other people heard it. So that's why on the Temple Mount, people from all over the place were hearing these Galileans who who were back, I mean, they were backwater people, that they weren't looked at highly in society. And like I said, they had their own distinct accent that would give them away. And now with that accent, they're speaking in, in languages that they'd never known before. And people are going, what in the world is happening? And there are people from all over the world. Verses 9 through 11, there's a whole list there. Medes, Parthians, Elamites, Mesopotamians, Cappadocia, uh, Asia, Egypt, Rome, Arabs. People from all over the place were hearing their their language spoken by Galileans and they're proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And so that was 
the miracle. And that was, um, you know, other places in the Bible, and especially in the New Testament, will talk about tongues. And it's like, what is that? Well, this, here's the principle of, of interpreting the Bible, is you use clear passages to help you understand unclear passages. Okay, and so Acts 2, it's obvious what tongues were. And so you use that as your kind of your definition to say, okay, where else it's used, where it's ambiguous, where it's vague, you're not sure what it's meaning. Well, if, if you just take that definition and put it in there, does it work? And, and, and it does. Is um, Several other times in the book of Acts, you'll see tongues being mentioned again. And what's cool is that um, up until this point, the Jews were pretty proud about their, about their history and that we are God's chosen people. Now, their mandate was to let God know or let people know um, uh, what, what, a, what a group of people would look like who are following God and to have others join in on them. And, but with our you know, selfish bent, we can kind of get selfish about that and just think, hey, we're God's people, you're not, all right? Now... God is saying, I'm here for all people. I'm here for all people. And that's why I want my truth to be heard by every nation, by every ethnicity. I want the good news about me that I have created you. I love you. I have made a way for you to be reconciled to me. I want that word to go out to everyone. Jesus said to Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth. And now I am um, reinforcing that by the miracle that I'm giving you with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I have, I've been on mission trips um, at different parts of the world where I've prayed for the gift of tongues. Because I'd be in a place where I am, I'm in uh, Nicaragua or I'm in Serbia. And I would love to be able to, to understand what they were saying. And I have never, I've, I don't have the gift. And I've prayed for it. And I've actually begged God for it. And I don't have it. And I'm okay with that, God, because you're in control. But, um, but they got it then. And, they, and it was a unique thing. Now, if you go to chapter 10 and 11, it's going to happen again. When did it happen? When Gentiles and Samaritans, who were looked at as unclean by the Jews, when they placed their faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit came upon them and those same miracles happened. Why? Because then the Jews who are followers of Jesus can't say, this is just for us. I mean, God's family now is going past ethnicity. It's, it's going past people groups. It's for all people. And so in my family are people that previously um, I was at war against. But if you're a follower of Jesus, we're now united in one family. Fast forward to, I think it's Acts chapter 19, where um, they're in Ephesus, which is in Asia Minor, and they meet Jews who are followers of God, who are follow disciples of John the Baptist, who was proclaiming the Messiah is coming. I'm preparing you for the Messiah. Repent. Get your heart ready for the Messiah. And so they're out spreading that word, and they don't know that Jesus actually has come and has died for the sins of the world and is risen from the dead. And so now they're being told that the Messiah came, and let me tell you the rest of the story. And so they go, oh my goodness, 
it's been fulfilled what John the Baptist was saying. And at that moment, they place their faith in Jesus as the, as the fulfillment of John the Baptist's prophecy. And the Holy Spirit comes on them and they speak in tongues. And it was just, again, a confirmation all throughout Acts that these different groups of people were now all part of the family of God because of their faith in Jesus and the word of God and the good news of Jesus is to go out to all people with, without um, any prejudice and because God loves all and invites all into his family. And so it is just a, such a cool miracle that's happening in Acts chapter two that we look at it and go, okay, what? What? That is weird. But it was, um, it was clearly a miracle and it was clearly um, some lots of significance behind it, okay? So the first thing is God's with me. The second thing is we're gonna look from the life of Peter in uh, verse 14. Okay, they go down, I think they go down to the southern steps. Thousands of people are there. It's like somebody needs to explain to them what's going on. And so Peter stands up, which probably made the other followers of Jesus nervous. Okay, because Peter was a guy who was constantly putting his foot in his mouth. He was doing, he was super impulsive. He was one of those guys that um, he never had a thought he didn't express. You know people like that? You know, they, they just, it's like, they just let it fly and then they go, maybe I should have thought about that. Um, and that was Peter. And so he gets up and in verse 14 says, but Peter standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. And so he's getting up and he's letting her rip. So um, the thing that we're going to learn from looking at Peter's life is how does the Holy Spirit impact us? The Holy Spirit's now with us. And so what impact does that have? And we're going to look at it from Peter because Peter, when he um, stood in the presence of Jesus, he was able to do some amazing things. I mean, Peter was the one who walked on water. I thought Jesus walked on water. Yeah, he was. They were out in a storm. Disciples were out there. The boat was getting swamped. They're fearing from their lives. They look out onto the horizon. They see somebody walking to them. They freak out. They don't know what it is. And all of a sudden, they recognize it's Jesus. And Peter is so locked on to Jesus that he stands up in the midst of the storm, and he gets out of the boat. And for a few moments, he walks on water until it hits him. What am I doing? And he looks around, gets his eyes off Jesus. He sinks. Jesus rescues him. Okay, but when, G when Peter was in Jesus' presence and he was focused on Jesus, he was able to do something he never could do on his own. He was able to do a miracle, all right? Later on, uh, up in the northern country in, in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus goes, okay, you've been traveling with me. You've been hearing what I've been saying about myself, what I've been teaching. You hear what other people say about me. And so who do you say that I am? I mean, gut check. Who do you really think I am? And some say you're from Elijah. No, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus goes, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, Peter. But my God gave you a glimpse of what's really true there. And yet you have um, uncanny insight in this moment. And in the presence of Jesus, the stumble bum Peter was able not only to do the miraculous, but actually to speak miraculous truth. And then 
Later on, I mean, he had miraculous courage. He was able to walk on water. He got out of the boat. He was, uh, I mean, this wasn't the wisest thing in the world, but when, when they came to arrest Jesus the night that he was arrested, the day before he was crucified, um, Peter says, nah, and Peter goes to fight off the guard. I mean, single-handedly. Nobody else is fighting, but Peter's like, this is go time. I'm not like letting you take Jesus. And he takes out his sword, which is a little knife, and, and goes after him. And so in the, with Jesus by his side, I mean, he had courage, he spoke truth, and, and he was able to do miracles, all right? Now, Jesus says, um, well, what's, what's also interesting, when he was separated from Jesus that same night, the night that he was ready to take on anybody because Jesus is with him, he, Jesus gets arrested, taken away, He's separated from Jesus. A little girl goes, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And he just goes off on a, on a four-letter tirade, denying that he ever knew Jesus. So he goes from courage in, in the presence of Jesus to coward. Total coward. Okay, Jesus dies, rises from the dead. He's with Jesus again. Jesus says, now wait for the Spirit and leaves. And I'm thinking, bummer for Peter. Okay, because the things he was doing good, he only did them in the, presence, in the presence of Jesus. Now the Holy Spirit comes on Peter, and Peter stands up again before thousands of people and begins speaking truth again. And he says this, verse 21, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And he says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. See, and just as you're seeing some miracles today, you've seen miracles. You've seen them at the hands of Jesus. I mean, I don't have to convince you of that. There are people who have been lame from life that walk among you and you know them. There are lepers that is never, nobody's ever been healed of leprosy, who have been ostracized and alone, who are now healed in part, in, in thriving members of society, and you know them, and they were healed by Jesus. There, there's no debate, they're among you. And, but in spite of those miracles, you missed them. You missed Jesus. And so he says, not only did you miss him, but you killed him. So this is Peter, standing up in front of thousands of people, who 50 days ago demanded crucify him. And he's saying, you killed the promised Messiah. In spite of all these signs, you killed him. But you know why he died? He allowed it to happen because he sacrificed himself so that you can be forgiven and reunited to the God that we've always worshipped. And so repent, repent with the Holy Spirit. Peter is saying Great truth about Jesus. He's being courageous in getting up and not only speaking truth, but in a way that, man, it's time to put up or shut up. You're given a second chance. Don't miss it again. And then in verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized and 3,000 placed their faith in Jesus and were added to the 120. 3,000. See what the Holy Spirit, Peter, was doing the miraculous. This is, this is the impact of the Holy Spirit in our lives. They knew they are not alone. 
that these 120 that started the church knew that they were not alone, that God was with them and was giving them the ability to speak profound truth, was giving them courage beyond themselves to step into situations that they were afraid to step into. And through that, God would do things that they could never do on their own. And right out of the gate, that was happening. You see, having the Holy Spirit in Peter's life was just like walking shoulder to shoulder with Jesus. He was not alone, and here's the deal. Neither are you. Neither am I. Bible says anybody who places their faith in Jesus receives the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we never walk alone. And that if we listen to and are guided by the Holy Spirit, we will step into situations and we will speak truth. Now, speaking truth in love. Whenever I speak truth, if I don't do it in love, it's not truth. And if I'm ever expressing love, if I don't speak truth, well, it's not really fully love. To go together. And the Holy Spirit helps us and guides us into those things. Last week, we learned that Jesus prepared them and said, the spirit of truth is coming. One of the reasons we gather together and we study the Bible every week is not because we just want to get smarter and know more, but because we want the Spirit of God to take that truth and and use it to challenge us and apply it to our lives and correct our thinking and transform our character. And as he does that, he, he does something in us we can never do on our own, that he transforms our life, our character. And then he allows us to be used by him so that God can change eternity through us submitting ourselves to him. And so that is the spirit of God in us. It, is, it's, it happened on Acts 2nd, and although we're not walking around with flames over our head and speaking foreign languages we don't know, God is with us, and the long-term impact is that we're able to say things of truth that others don't know. We're able to do it courageously, and we're able to see God do miracles in and through us. That's the spirit of God in us. Last last thought, Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23 says this, but the fruit of the spirit, it means as a result of the spirit of God in you, here is the byproduct, okay? Here's the byproduct of having the spirit of God in your life. Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, the Spirit of God in us means that he transforms us. He transforms us. He, He begins shaping our character to be more like him. And let me tell you, that's not an overnight process. Now, there is some things in my life when when um I committed my life to Jesus that instantly desires changed. I was doing this and I'm I there's really nothing in me that wants to do that anymore. I think, I think that's not healthy. And so now I want to go this. There was those changes in my life, but most of the changes in my life have been gradual over time. Because the um, Spirit of God is in me, but so is my old nature. My, my, my bent towards selfishness. So because the Spirit of God is in me doesn't mean that I'm always submitting to it. And because I... I pretty used to submitting to Bill. And so, um, and Bill and the Spirit of God are not aligned a lot. 
because I have a self-centered bent that I want to follow. And when I'm following that, you know who I'm not following? I'm not following God. And the Spirit of God is reminding me of what's true and what's right and submit to it, Bill, and follow him. And, I, and as I do that more and more and I trust him, that's a life of faith, trusting the Spirit of God in us. It's, I'm going I'm to trust you more than me. I'm going to follow you. He begins transforming our character. And, and dads, there is nothing more impactful on your kids than for them to see God transform your character. Nothing will have a greater impact on them. I mean, you can say all you want to say, but, but your life is a lesson to them that shouts so much louder than any words you say. And if they see over time, you know what, dad's a more loving person. You know, he's more patient and kind with people. He's being less selfish. They see that in you, that, that, that will leave a mark on their life. What is going on there? What's going on is the Spirit of God is shaping you and is transforming your character. And that's what God wants to do in each one of us is to grow us up, to reflect more of him. And that's why we, we are so desperate to learn God's word so that the Spirit of God can use it to keep reminding us of, hey, follow me, don't follow yourself. Peter got up and said, repent, repent. Now that's one of those words that we go, oh man, that's like hell, flat, fire, and brimstone. Um, yeah, a little bit, but what it is, it's conviction, okay? It's repent saying, I recognize I've been going this way on my own and my back has basically been to God. I've been ignoring God. And, I, and to repent means I recognize that. I feel conviction about that. And so it's recognizing, feeling conviction, going this has not served me well and now I'm gonna turn to God. And so it literally means to turn. I'm turning now to God and I'm saying I wanna follow you. And that day, 3,000 people said, yeah, that's what I want to do. And maybe in your life, you have been on a path that you know God is there and you know he's pursuing you, but you've just been committed to your own way. And just like Peter, I mean, is God convicting you? And is today to day you say, I, I repent. This isn't the right thing. I should not be ignoring God. And today I turn to him. And maybe in your spiritual journey, you've made that decision in the past. But, um, man, you spent some time just thinking, I've been living like I'm an atheist. I've been living just going after my stuff and not thinking about God, you are with me. And you are trying to guide me. And I need to submit myself to you. I mean, what are the situations that you need to step into with courage and do what is right? What, what, what are people around you that you need to step in and, and say, how can I help? Maybe it's just listening, getting your eyes off of yourself and just say, I need to pay attention to you. Maybe you have an opportunity to speak truth into situations that you've, you've, you've wimped out. You've had opportunities to speak truth or encouragement or even to say things like, you know, if, if if it's okay with you, I would like, I'm going to be praying for you in that situation. 
And God says, I'll give you courage and I'll give you truth to speak. Step into them and watch me work. Watch me do miracles in your life. Maybe today, repentance is as a follower of Jesus, and I am recommitting myself. I'm following you. You are with me, and I've been ignoring you. And so today, I I commit to press back into you, to listen to you, and to follow you. If today is a first for you, where it's like, I need to do this for the first time, then um, let's just not waste any more time. Let's talk to God. And I want to get, invite you to talk to God and let him know, um, yeah, I got a conviction and I'm ready to follow you. So let's bow our heads, close our eyes. And you can pray something to God, just talk to him, and you can say something um, like this, God, I know you love me and that you've been trying to get my attention. And today um, I acknowledge that I have been self-centered. And I've been ignoring you, the God who created me. And uh, so today I, I turn away from my old way and I turn to you. And I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you to come into my life and would you today, may this mark the beginning of a new journey of me being forgiven, brought into your family, And would you begin growing me up into the person that you created me to be? And I thank you for your love for me and your patience and that you haven't given up. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Father, I pray for each person here that as um, you remind us how your church was launched, that your spirit is with every follower of Jesus and walks with us moment by moment, 24-7, would we live in a renewed awareness of that, in a new dependence upon you and your spirit, that you would guide us, that you empower us, that you would mold us, transform us into who you want us to be, and then work boldly through us to touch the lives of others. Thank you for that, Father, and it's in your son's name, Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. Real quickly, if you prayed along with me this morning, you made that decision, I just want to congratulate you uh, for that decision, but also I have um, a little thing I want to get in your hands that will be an encouragement to you, and so as soon as we're done, go outside those doors in the middle and go to that round station in the middle um, of the atrium out there and just let, let them know, hey, I prayed along with Bill today, and you, you have something for me. And they will give you um, some information, real simple, just reinforce the truths that we just talked about, about the decision that you just made. And then it will also give you some just practical, simple steps about how you can begin now this new relationship and walking and nurturing this le- your new relationship with God. If you're online and uh, you prayed along with me this morning, go to rollinghills.org slash next steps. Fill out the information there, and we will get that information to you as well. And so now we're going to continue to worship together.